Chapter 14 After 25 And he went out about the third hour, and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Matthew 23-4 For young men and women, no parable teaches all sides of truth. It is wrong to attempt to make a parable run on all fours. It is intended to convey one lesson, and if it teaches that, we must not attempt to draw everything else out of it. This parable sets forth the great God as a householder going forth to find men to work for Him. But let no one imagine that God needs any of us. He was perfect, perfectly happy and perfectly glorious, long before any angel's wing moved in space or before time even existed. God always was and still is self-contained and all-sufficient. If He chooses to make any creatures, or to preserve or use any of the creatures He has formed, that is not because He needs them, or is in the least degree dependent upon them. If God comes forth in wondrous grace to call any of us to work in His vineyard, it is not because He needs us, but because we need Him. He does not set us to work because He needs workers, but because we need work. He doesn't call us because He requires us, but because we require to be called. Out of the various men who are mentioned, no one went to the vineyard either early in the morning or later in the day and requested to be employed. The householder went out into the marketplace and employed his men. At the third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, not one man had come of his own free will, but in every case the first overture was from the householder. He went out to hire laborers into his vineyard. Matthew 20, 1. At the eleventh hour, although the day was coming to a close and the sun was almost down, even then men were not wise enough to want to end the day in the right service, but they still remained as they had been all day, idling in the marketplace until the generous employer came out, reasoned with them, and convinced them to enter the vineyard. No man ever comes to God until God first comes to him. So it is my earnest desire that the impulses of divine grace may even now be felt in many hearts. God the Holy Spirit is able to work upon the judgment, the understanding, the affections, the fears, the hopes, and the will of men. As he works upon them, he makes men willing in the day of God's power, Psalm 110, 3, so that they turn to him and enter into his service. That is, I think, the first meaning of God's going out. Personally, to most people, there is a time of God's going forth when they are especially moved to holy things. It happens to some in childhood. While they are still young, God speaks with them as He did with Samuel. He might even appear to them on the little bed at night and say, Samuel, Samuel, and then helps them to answer, Here am I, for you called me. 1 Samuel 3, 5. To others, God comes a little later in life, when it is the second hour of the day, while they are still in the prime of their youth. It was the great privilege of some of us for the Lord to call us while we were still young men, and it is a great blessing when God comes to us at that important period of our history. To others, God appears when they are advanced in life. Blessed be God, He comes also to some when the day is nearly over, 
when the furrows of care are on their brows and the snows of age are on their heads. He comes with power by the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit. He speaks to them, and they yield to His speaking and give themselves up to be His servants for the rest of their lives. I have heard or read a good number of sermons to the young, or I have heard of them, sermons to those who are called by God early in the morning, and I know there have been a great many sermons to those who have reached the eleventh hour. Therefore, I thought that I would specifically address those who have come to the third hour. What kind of people are those who are at the third hour? What is the third hour? Let us calculate a little. To the Jews, there were always twelve hours in the day, whether it was summer or winter, so the hour was different every day. It was a very difficult way of computing time, for as the day lengthened or shortened, they still divided the daylight into twelve hours. Well, think of human life as a period of twelve hours, and then form a calculation of what each hour must be. Take the whole of life roughly at seventy, seventy-two, seventy-three, seventy-five, or whatever you want. Then you have to leave out the very earliest hours, that period of life in which God does not call children to intelligent faith because they do not yet have enough understanding to be capable of intelligent faith. Take off a little for that. I would calculate the first three hours of life to be over at about the age of twenty through twenty-four, or something close to that and I would say that the third hour of life would range from twenty-five to thirty-five. That is the period in which the man has come to perfection, and in which the woman has reached the fullness of her strength. There will be little growing after this. If this is not the pinnacle of life, yet certainly a considerably developed period of life has now been reached. Very earnestly do I pray for the Master to come out to you who have come to the third hour of your day, and to say to you, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. Matthew 24. Now, my friends, you who are between twenty and forty years of age, I want you to become the servant of my Lord and Master. You have already wasted some of the best hours of the day. There are no hours of the day like the early morning, when the dew is upon everything and the smoke of care and trouble has not yet dimmed the landscape. Give me the earliest hours of a summer morning for enjoyment, when the birds are singing at their sweetest, and all nature seems to be adorned with her wedding jewels, her most delightful ornaments. There is no time for work like the first hours of the day, and there is no time for serving the Lord like the very earliest days of youth. I remember the joy I had in the little service I was able to render to God when I first knew Him. I was employed in a school during the week, but there was Saturday afternoon, and that Saturday afternoon, although I could have justly used it for rest, and although I was only a boy myself, was committed to a certain district of town and to visiting the very poor within my reach. I devoted the Lord's Day to teaching a class, and later on addressing the Sunday school. Oh, but how earnestly I did it all! I often think that I spoke better then than I did in later years, for I spoke so tremblingly, but my heart went with it all. When I began to talk a little in the villages on Sundays, and afterward every night in the week, I know that I used to speak then what came fresh from my heart. There was little time for gathering much from books. My primary library was the Word of God, and my own experience, but I spoke from my very soul. 
I have no doubt that I spoke with much blundering, weakness, and youthful folly, but, oh, I spoke with such an intense desire to bring people to Christ. I remember that I felt I could cheerfully lay down my life if I could only save a poor old man or bring a boy of my own age to the Savior's feet. There is nothing later in life quite like those early morning works. Yet, my friend, you have let that period pass away. You are twenty-five, you are thirty, you are even thirty-five, and you are still unsaved. Don't waste any more precious time. Go at once to the crucified one, my dear Lord and Master. There he stands, with a crown of thorns about his brow. Give him at least the rest of your days. Beg him to pardon you for having lived so long without loving and serving him. Besides, I must plead with you at this age that you come to Christ because habits of idleness are already forming in you. No, you say, it's not so. I am referring to spiritual idleness. You have not yet done anything for Christ. You have not even looked to see what you could do. You have not meditated upon what place in the vineyard you could occupy, whether you could trim the vines, water them, gather the grapes, or tread the wine vat. No. You have done nothing as yet. I am afraid that soon you will get settled down into this do-nothing style, and you will go back to the dust from where you came, having achieved nothing for him who gave himself that he might save us from our sins. Don't stay in that condition a moment longer. The wax is not very soft now. It is beginning to harden. Before it is completely set, let the stamp of sovereign grace be pressed upon it, so that your life may yet bear the impress of Christ. Moreover, Satan is very ready with his temptations. You know how he is. Satan finds some mischief still for idle hands to do. Footnote. This is from a hymn from Divine Songs for Children, also titled Divine and Moral Songs for Children, by Isaac Watts, 1674-1748. to This hymn is Against Idleness and Mischief, and begins with How Doth the Little Busy Be? I hope you have not gone into any blatant open sin. Like the young man in the narrative we read, or listen to, possibly you have been kept quite pure and clean outwardly. That's good. But don't you see that as good of a person as you are in your own estimation, you are extremely likely to be assailed by Satan? If he can get you to indulge the lusts of the flesh, or some other vain and sinful pleasure, he will take great delight in ruining you. Oh, how I wish that I could get you enlisted into my Lord's army! Here, take the pay. I mean, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Accept him as your Saviour, and become his faithful servant. I wish I could put a rake into your hands, or a pruning knife, or something with which you should be persuaded to go into the vineyard of my Master to serve him. You who have reached the age of twenty-five or thirty or thirty-five, I want you to come to Christ because your sun may go down at noon. Such things do happen. It seems to me that if God will spare you, there is a decent opportunity of work yet before you. As I look at men and women in the prime of life, and know that many of them are not yet converted to God, I feel that Satan must not have you, and the world must not have you, and sin must not have you but Christ must have you. He is such a glorious Saviour and Lord that I would gladly have all the world at His feet. 
He deserves so much that he would well deserve if all kings fell down before him, and all princes called him blessed. It would only be right for you to fall down before him and call him blessed. What a life you may yet lead! What usefulness, what happiness, what blessedness may yet be your portion! If you could look through a telescope that could reveal what you might be if your heart were consecrated to God, what a heaven below and what a heaven above awaits you, I feel sure that you would now yield to the calling of the great householder and enter his vineyard. In a literal sense, many are completely idle. There are still many who should be Christians who are really idle. When I have been by the seaside, I have sometimes seen a great many well-to-do folk who had nothing wrong with them. They were perfectly well, yet they were idling their time away day after day. I have almost thought if they were thrown into the Mediterranean, who would lose anything by them? Are there not plenty of people just like that? even among those who come to our places of worship. They consume so much bread and meat, and if they're not careful, they will get consumed one of these days, for they do no good to anybody. What a pity it is that a man who stands nearly six feet tall would be doing nothing, and that a woman who is made for love and kindness would not be scattering that love and kindness on all sides and serving the Lord. To those of you who are of the ages from thirty to forty, who are still idle, I want to say in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, with all earnestness, to come to Him by faith, confess your idleness and all your other sins, seek His grace and mercy, and then enter His vineyard and serve Him while you may. There are also others who are laboriously idle, wearied with work that accomplishes nothing of real worth. The man who is spending all his life in his business, living simply to get money, has only frivolous goals, for temporary objects preoccupy him. He who lives for God, for Christ, and for the good of men, lives for a purpose worthy of an immortal being. But he who lives only for his own increase, lives for such a temporary and shallow purpose that he may be said to be idle, even though he wears himself to death with his labor." Oh, if this is all you do, the master thinks you are idle. You're doing nothing for him, nothing worth doing, nothing that can be written in the roll and record of history as a great feat done by a soul redeemed by the blood of Christ. Oh, you laborious idlers, I pray that you may be made to go and work in the master's vineyard. There are some who are idling because of their constant indecision. They're not entirely bad but they are not good. They do not serve the devil except by neglecting to serve God. Although they are idle, they are full of good intentions, but they have been so for a long while. If they were now what they resolved to be ten years ago, there would be a great change in them, but they are not, and apparently in ten years' time they will be as they are now, that is to say, if God spares them. They will go no farther for they are the kind of people who resolve and resolve, yet remain the same. I almost wish that they would say that they want to be lost, rather than say that they hope to be saved, yet not mean it. For if they said that they wanted to be lost, they would draw back with horror after having said it. But now they play with God, and with eternity, heaven and hell, and say, I will, I will, I will. It is always, I will, yet they never will to make I will a thing of the present moment. 
If a house were on fire, and you were in the upper story, it would be a pity to say, I will escape later when the flames have reached another story, but I must wait a little while. No, you would be eager to escape at once. I'm sure that you would be. Wisdom dictates that a person should not always contemplate and hesitate and say, I will, without ever coming up to the mark. Wisdom dictates that, by the grace of God, he should say, I have reached the end of my indecision. I will begin to live for God, if He will give me spiritual life. I will cast off the works of darkness, if God will give me spiritual light. I will lay myself at Jesus' feet and cry, Save me, O Lord, for I long to escape from my sin and to be an idler no longer. From what you hear from some people, one would think that the service of God was a very difficult, dreary, dismal, hard, toilsome business. But it is not so. The work that the Lord has for us to do is very proper and appropriate for us. He wants us to recognize that we are sinners, and therefore He wants us to come and be washed. After we are washed, He wants us to realize that it is our joy, our duty, our privilege, and our delight to show forth the praises of Him who has thus saved us. The service of God is the most proper employment for a man to be engaged in. It never degrades him and never wearies him, for we gain fresh strength in the service of God, and the more we serve Him, the more we can serve Him. The Lord invites you to a service in which He will give you all the tools and all the strength you need. When He sends you to His vineyard, He doesn't expect you to go home and bring back a basket of tools. God does not expect sinners to bring their own Savior. He never sends His soldiers on a warfare at their own expense. He who surrenders himself to be a servant of God will find himself exceptionally prepared and particularly helped to do all that God asks him to do. More than that, if you will come into God's vineyard, you will work with God and will so be honored. It seems to me that the most wonderful thing about our service is that we are workers together with God. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 to bend the stems of that vine and find an almighty hand softly working with our own, to take the sharp pruning knife and cut off the too luxuriant bough and feel that there is a knife sharper than ours cutting as we cut, to take a spade and dig around the vine and all the while to feel and know that there is a secret worker digging deeper than we are digging and so making what we do productive. If you are building for God, and you lift the trowel or the hammer and feel that there is another hand lifting another trowel and another hammer building with you and building by you, you are divinely honored. If God works with you, you are of the nobility of heaven, and it is to that position He invites you when He says, Go ye also into the vineyard. Matthew 20, 4. Let me tell you that if you engage in this work, it will be increasingly pleasant to you. The little difficulties at the beginning will soon be gone. The service of God may at first seem like swimming against the stream, but later you will discover that there is a pleasure even in the opposing element, for the live fish always prefer to swim up the stream. You will find a delight in your difficulties, a sacred joy in that which seems at first so difficult. As you live and labor for your Lord, it will become joy upon joy to serve Him and glorify His holy name. We must remember that the householder went out again at the sixth hour. We might say these are those who are thirty-five to forty-five. He called those whom he found then, 
and when he called them, they went into the vineyard. You who are between thirty-five and fifty, in the very strength of your days, Christ will not refuse to use you if you will come at his call. Then the householder went out again at the ninth hour to those who are fifty, fifty-five, sixty, or even sixty-five. It was getting late, but they could still do a good amount of work if they threw all their energy into it. No one needs to despair of doing a life work even now. If you cannot do long work, you can do strong work. There are some people who begin work very late, but they go at it with such vigor and earnestness that they accomplish a good deal. I don't see why you should not. At any rate, come in now. Old men have done great things in the past. If they don't have the exuberance of youth, they have more wisdom. If they don't have all the strength, they have more common sense. There is a place for you to fill even though so many years have flown over your head. If you come to Christ even now, He will use you in His vineyard. But, best of all, the householder even went out at the eleventh hour. He might have said, It's of no use to go out now, for if I bring them in, there's only one hour left for them in which to work. Still, as I have told you, he did not employ them because he needed men, but because they needed the money. So, to show that, since he didn't need them at the first hour, and did not need them at the third, or the sixth, or the ninth hour, much less would he need them at the eleventh hour, yet he would still go out. There they are. I see them. They are a group of old men and old women. You would not employ them, I'm sure. You would say, they will take half their time for talking, and the other half for wiping the sweat from their brows and doing nothing. There's not any strength left in the poor old souls. They would be better off in a poorhouse, eating a bowl of oatmeal and sitting by the fireside. But this good householder's employment of the men was not for his own sake, but for their sakes. He felt that he might as well engage these men as he had done the rest. So he said to them, It is the eleventh hour, but go and work in my vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. I feel it to be a great joy to have been called to work for my Lord in the early hours of life's day. I hope in time to be able to say, O God, you have taught me from my youth, and up to this time I have declared your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and grey-headed, O God, do not forsake me. Let me still show your strength unto this generation, and your power to everyone who is to come. It is the best and the happiest thing of all if we have served our Lord from our youth. But if you have missed that privilege to your own grief and sorrow, if you are old, yet even now the Lord invites you. He calls you. He urges you to come. He will welcome you. If you only come to Him, He will give you your wages too even as he gives the wages to those who have begun their working day so early. If I remember correctly, there was a man who was converted at the age of a hundred and three. He was sitting under a hedge, I think, in Virginia, and he remembered a sermon that he had heard the Reverend John Flavel preach at Plymouth. He recalled a powerful part of it, turned to God, and found peace and pardon. He was spared to live three years more, and when he died, this inscription was put on his grave. Here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, who died according to nature, aged 106.